Hi, this is Susan. And this is Deborah. And welcome to another episode of She Speaks Stories. And Katie is unfortunately not with us today. She did have a difficult week, but right now she's doing much better, isn't she, Deb? Thank you for all your prayers that you prayed over her. That's right. And her family from Wisconsin is visiting her right now, as well as her daughter from New York City. So she is surrounded not only by her family, but also by this incredible podcast community that you guys have really just risen up um, and loved her well through your prayers. And we are so grateful. So Dib is with me today to help introduce... um, our guest, because it's an amazing episode. Dib, tell us who is going to be with us on this episode. Pastor Bushani. That's right, Pastor Bushani. And Pastor Bushani is an incredible woman. Um, she is a church planter in Uganda. Um, and she's incredible. And let me tell you, the unique church planning that she does is in these refugee camps, because Uganda... Um, as well as you're going to hear also dear to her heart is Sudan and South Sudan. Um, They are um, in the middle of a civil war, um, South Sudan and Sudan. And so all of these refugees are coming into Uganda. And in these refugee camps, Pushani is planting churches. She is amazing, isn't she, Deborah? Yes, ma'am. Yeah, and so they're going to get to hear from her. Uh, Miss Gwen and I sat down with Pastor Bushani, and we got to hear her story. And I tell you what, Deborah, she loves Jesus. I mean, it really, when you talk to her, you realize that she believes God for anything. She believes he can do anything. I wish I really had that kind of faith, that I would believe that he could do anything. Probably that's what Miss Katie's doing right now. Oh, Deb, that is true. She is believing God for to love her and to give her um, healing and to give her comfort and to give her peace. That's good. You're right. Miss Katie is having to believe that, just like Pastor Bushani believes that. So, all right, friends. Deb, is there anything else you'd like to add before we hand it right over to Pastor Bushani? No, but I'm very excited. You are. To hear the episode. Yes, you're going to be able to hear the Pastor Pishani's um, story, and that's going to be exciting. So, um, all right, friends. Well, you guys have um, an incredible, incredible um, weekend, and we hope that Pastor Pishani's um, story will lend you hope and courage and truly belief that God can do the most miraculous things in situations that feel a little hopeless. Um, he brings such hope and pastor Bishani is, is living proof of that. So lean in, uh, to what Gwen and I were able to hear from pastor Bishani, um, this week. Yes. Take tunes for she speaks stories. And if you don't follow them and you're just starting to follow this episode, welcome to she speaks Stories. That's right. Welcome. I love you, Deb. Love you, too. And I love you, listeners. (laughs) Bye. Bye. I am Pushani. I'm a Malaysian from Kuala Lumpur, which is the capital of Malaysia. Malaysia is a peninsula in Southeast Asia, uh, bordered by Thailand on the north, Indonesia on the east, Singapore at the bottom, and China, Japan on the west. Um, my parents came from Sri Lanka many several years ago to Malaysia and I was born in Malaysia, raised up in a strong Hindu family and uh, I 
I took this path for several years. I dabble in many areas, transcendental meditation, yoga, uh, thinking that all these things would satisfy me. And in 1994, my dad was diagnosed with prostate cancer, and that was a turning point in my life. I had uh, many Christian friends as I was growing up as a little child in school and I used to hang out in the gym and therefore I had friends, American friends, British friends and some of them were Christians and they would challenge my faith and as per Christian faith a lot of debates would go on and I was walking and dating a Christian guy from New Zealand. He was an um, entrepreneur and he would say, why don't you come to church with me one Sunday? And I said, okay, um, no worries, I can do that because Hinduism say that all religions point to the same God. So I would go with him each Sunday and just, you know, go with emotions and did for four Sundays on the last Sunday, the pastor was preaching, and at the end of his sermon, he gave an altar call, asking those who would embrace Christ to step out of their seats and come forward. And I would see people going forward, walking forward, and I was just watching. And at that moment, I told the Lord, I told Jesus, Jesus, if you are who people profess you are, the son of the living God, I want an encounter in my heart. I've read several books. People have handed me books. I've heard many stories of what you have done and so forth. But I said, no, I want an encounter in my heart. And the minute I said that, there was an overwhelming presence of God, which I did not understand at that moment, mm. uh, came upon me. I started crying, could not stop crying, and I went forward. I heard the pastor say, I'm still waiting for one more person to come forward. And I thought, God, that's me. And I went forward. And I mm -hmm. gave my heart to Jesus, asked him for forgiveness, and I never looked back. Then I told myself, now he's my dad. He's in the hospital. The doctor had given him a few months to live, and he was undergoing chemotherapy and radiotherapy, and I was daddy's girl. And so mm. when I heard my dad was mm. sick, that broke my world apart. And so I went to the hospital. How old were you then? I was 34 years old. Wow. 34 years old. So I would go to the hospital and you know, try and pray quietly because my sisters would come and plug on earphones with Hindu music and uh, I would did, uh, I would just walk over, I would just go there and perhaps open the scripture, sit by his bedside and my sisters were not there and read the gospel of John and talk to my dad. Mm -hmm. uh, but one afternoon, I took a leave from office. Uh, I had a job, I was working for a British insurance company doing executive uh, insurance and my clients were bankers and did that. I Good life, good money, good clothes, good car, good life, enjoy it. But I knew that something was missing in my life. Yeah, I knew that money was not the answer. And I didn't realize that I was actually searching. So I'd gone to the hospital. And when I went to the hospital during my lunch break, I saw that my father was surrounded by a group of people, young men and women. 
and、uh, I stepped back for a minute, and I heard them praying. I heard my father asking Jesus for forgiveness,、mm. and he embraced Jesus、mm. as Lord and Savior. I heard him、mm. says, "I want Jesus,"、mm. and I thought, "Wow, God!" And I'm just a a week old believer.、Mm-hmm. And that night, I'd gone to hospital to see him. And I spoke to him, but he he went into coma, and I never saw him. But I knew that he has gone to be with the Lord.、Yes. My mom and my three sisters, younger sisters, strong Hindu believers, they were angry, they were upset with me,、mm-hmm. and they questioned, "What happened? What's wrong with you? Why have you turned away to this faith?" They said, and they blamed my friends, my Christian friends, my boyfriend, and I told them, "No,、nope, I had an encounter. I've made a choice to follow Christ." Uh, they did not kick me out of the house. I still stayed there, but there was no communication. So I continued working, working, and I and I plugged onto the church where I was saved. I was so on fire for Jesus, wanted to know more of Him. I would go very diligently for the weekly prayer meetings and Bible study, discipleship, and then there were、uh, mission trips that the church had organized. And I said, okay, and I took this mission trip. My first mission trip was to Myanmar, Burma. At that time, was called Burma. And when 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 we went there, when we arrived at the at the as the plane touched the、uh, the ground as the plane was cruising on the runway, I looked out of the window and looked at the country, and I saw these paddy fields, and I saw the birds、uh, pecking at the grains, and I asked myself, God, this is a poor country. Why are they wasting this rice, this paddy? And the Lord said, "The harvest is ripe for harvest. The, the harvest is plentiful, and it is ripe. I'm looking for laborers." I had no clue what that meant. Being a very new believer, I looked around at my friends. They were all talk busy, chatting away. All right, we were there for a week, kind of looked around, and just did what the others were doing. And I came back home, came back to Malaysia.、Mm-hmm. Then there was a trip to Israel, and.、Uh, My boyfriend said, "Come, let's go to Israel." So he paid for the ticket. We were part of the church. We did a three-week trip in Israel. We went to places that Jesus walked, and that that changed my life. The Bible became real to me.、Mm-hmm. I'd come back to the home church, and I said, "I can't be a pure woman any anymore. I had to find a place where I can serve." And I was not trained. I was not equipped. But they said I could help out in the children's ministry. You have what you call the baby class. Well, I could carry babies. I could carry little toddlers, take them to toilet, you know, wash their hands, and do some crafts. So I did that for a year. And I, I, I love the kids. I got so immersed in that. And I said, Lord, I want to be equipped. And there was a training going on for children ministry. And I did that for two years, and I was、uh, did a degree on that, and I was in charge of the children's church and Sunday school ministry of the church. We had over a thousand children,、mm-hmm. so I was pretty happy with that. <laughs> Shirley, that's that's a big deal. That's a lot of kids. <laughs>、oh, I mean, that's a church all in itself. Oh, by us is not a lot. Yeah. <laughs> okay, we have churches three thousand kids. So、oh. I said, so okay, God, that is quite cool. You know, I do my work. I come to church. I Sunday school. Bible study, discipleship, and you know, take charge. And then the Lord, and then the Lord began to tap me for missions and evangelism. And I told the Lord, "That's not for me, God. My area is Sunday school and children's ministry."、Mm-hmm. Then I went for the second mission trip. The following year to Vietnam, and we went right to the border. And at that time, in 1997, Vietnam
uh, it was a communist country. It is now open to gospel. Um, we could not carry any Bibles. You can't pray. We'll be followed wherever we go. Okay, so we were we were warned. We were we were told what to do. There was a team of twelve of us. There were two Americans with us. So we went to Vietnam, and there was a missionary serving in Hanoi, a Ho Chi Minh city, the capital. And she is a tent maker. She's a Malaysian girl, and she would teach English in Hanoi University. And every weekend, she would take the train, a ten-hour ride, right to the border, the mountains. Mm-hmm. So we followed her. It's a beautiful country. We walked around and we prayed for the people. No churches, and we went to homes that she had gone and built relationships. And we have what you call the underground Christians. Mm-hmm. And so, so we came back back to a hotel that night, and I said, "Let me get out and just see the town a little bit." So I come out of the hotel about eight o'clock at night, and I saw a, um, a line of children, probably ages between six to eight, outside the hotel, and it was just cold. And I asked Pushpa, the missionary, I said, "What are these kids doing outside?" Mm-hmm. And she said, "You don't want to know." I said, "I want. I want to know why these kids are doing. What are they doing outside at this time, ages six to eight, girls?" And she said, "They are pushed into prostitution." I stood there frozen, and I know God was tugging at my heart. What more do you want me to tell you? What would made you? What do I have to do for you to say yes, Lord? I would go and evangelize. I would go out and share the gospel. Mm. All right. So I came back home, did my job, still job and still questioning. I was unrested my spirit in my heart. God, what is? What are you saying through all this, Lord? I'm confused mm-hmm. and um, shared with a couple of church leaders. They said. Take it to the Lord in prayer, and He will guide you. Okay. And one day at work, I had gone early to work, and I was doing my morning devotion in the store of the office, and reading, reading, uh, doing my devotion. And the Lord says, "I want you to give up your job and follow me." And I said, "Lord, what?" And He said, "Yes." And I was reading the passage on uh, Jesus asking Simon Peter to get out of the boat and walk on water. Okay, Lord, that's cool. I think I can do that. But you know, God, I have a loan. I've got two loans: car loan and housing loan. How am I going to take care of that? Silence, no answer. <laughs> I was excited. I said, "That's why I see. Wow, God is calling me to serve the King of Kings and Lord of Lords." Me. Hmm. Okay, so I began to pray and did not share with anybody. And again, the Lord challenged me. I wanted to give up the job. And follow me, okay, God. But I need more confirmation. So on a Sunday, it is a communion Sunday. We just taken communion, and then my, the missions pastor goes up, and he prays for the offering, and and he shares the scripture again, where Jesus tells Simon Peter, step up of the boat and mm. walk on water mm. to believe faith. And I knew the Lord was tugging at my heart. Trust me for your loans. I will take care of the debt. But go to office tomorrow and hand in your resignation letter and follow me. So okay. So Monday morning, I went to the office. I had a British boss and not a believer. And I handed my res. I told him what I was going to do. He he thought I was berserk. He said, "Why don't you wait till you're fifty five years old and 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 do whatever you want to do?" I said, "How sure are you that you will live to fifty five? 
I said, I'm healthy, I'm young, and I want to do it. So I'm giving you my three months notice. He said, no, I'm not taking the letter. I said, yes, yes, you are, you are taking. I know you're going to come back. No, I'm not coming back. So I left the letter. So after three months, I resigned, I left, and I went to Bible school. So the church supported me, I went to Bible school, uh, and I did a degree for three years, and I did what you call a missions. And one of the missions, one of the things that I had to do was uh, spend three months in Philippines. Now, you may, now, I need to tell you how the Lord took care of my loans. All right, I was in Bible school. Uh, I could sell my car and I could pay off the monthly installments. I owed the bank 60000 for the house. Uh, my mom stays with us, with us. I had my sisters, but I was more concerned for my mom. My sisters were working. They had houses to live. If I, if it's just me alone, I could have sold the house, but it's my mom's a family mm-hmm. house, and my, my dad has, had left the property in my name. So slowly my savings depleted. I was no longer working, and the allowance I had from church was just enough for my meals. That's it, period. So I could not pay my loans, and the warning letters started to come from the bank. Mm-hmm. Warning number one, and then number two, and number three, and they said, we're going to sell the house. So I did not share with anybody. I could have borrowed money from my friends, but I said, God, you've told me to obey you, and I've done that. And God, it's now your problem to take care of this loan, and I don't want to shame you. My mom is asking what is wrong, and she's yelling, you see, I told you not to give up the job, and now you've got no money. She said, so, and she started, she, she opened the letters that came from the bank, and she said, what is this amount? She said, you owe the bank. I said, yes, mom, I owe the bank. Now, how are you going to pay this? My God will take care. What God is this who will take care? Is your God, is your God going to give you money? I said, Yes. So I went to the Lord in prayer that night, crying, crying, crying to God. I said, God, this is scary. I mean, they're going to seal the house. Where, where are we going to go? And what's my mom going to say? Mm-hmm. So I slept. Next morning, there's a knock on my door. My mom comes to me. Now, my father was a government servant. And so when he went to, uh, to be with the Lord, we have what you call retirement benefits. And the benefits were going to my mom. And so every month she would get some amount of money from the government. And my mom said to say she's the most careful person when money is concerned. I would say the word Scrooge, she would not spend the money on herself. So she would just deposit money in the bank and we would tell her mom, go enjoy yourself, go to Australia where my younger sister is. She said, no, 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 no. So one day she came, knocked on the door, she said, let's go to the bank now and let's withdraw the money and just settle this loan now. And I said, oh. Okay, I'm not wasting any time. Just give me 10 minutes, get my clothes, and we'll drive it to the bank. <laughs> so before she changes her mind. And I thought, oh my God, this is God. So I went to the bank, withdraw the money from my former account, and we settled the bank, the loan completely. Oh my mm. goodness. Yeah. So I came back and I said, oh my God. You know, when we step out in obedience, God just asks us to obey Him, period. He takes care of the rest, and I've seen Him doing that. It is a miracle. I was dead free, mm. and I've seen the hand of God. God is mm. not a liar. He's, he's a promise-keeping God. What He tells us, what He tells you and I, He gives His word. And, and I your mom him. was taken care of. 
I mean, my mom. Yeah, yes. she's not a believer, but it's amazing that she would do that. The mom yes. who opposed my salvation, who was so angry with me, now turned around to say, "Let's go to the bank and settle this debt." She never came to know the Lord then, right? So I was. So I continued Bible school, and and God was faithful. The money I had, I was able to take care of mom, make sure she was not hungry, pay the bills at home, because I stayed in the Bible school uh, campus. I would come home weekly to check on my mom. And while I was my last year of Bible school, the last year of Bible school, the Lord began to challenge me for missions, and I was blessed and challenged because during my three years in Bible school, we would have uh, missionaries come and share at the chapel, mostly Americans who have probably spent forty, fifty years in the mission field. So I would hear their stories, and God began to stir my heart for missions, and in in the year. 2000, I responded at the altar. God, here I am, Lord. Isaiah chapter six, send me to the nations. That's all I told him. And at the time, I was still overseeing the children ministry back at home church. Okay, so I graduated in 2001. I spent three months in Philippines in a slum area for missions. I'd come back and. And God began to put in my heart such a desire for missions. He was preparing me, so to speak. Came back and came back to home church, serving, and still praying. God, I will go. And one day I was in a prayer meeting with a, th- a three nights, three three nights overnight prayer meeting, and just sitting in His presence, God says, "I want you to go to Africa. I'm calling you to Africa." And I say, "Africa, God, oh my word, where is that? I've heard of it. I've studied geography." Are you kidding? All right, no answer. And again, Africa, Africa. So I shared with my church leadership. I said, God is putting upon my heart to go to Africa. Now, Africa comprises of many nations. Which nation in particular? So I began to seek the Lord, and I began to hear Sudan, Sudan. Mm. So Sudan. I then I researched. To find out there was a civil war going on in Sudan, mm. all right, and all the pictures I would see is dead bodies and skeletons. So my pastor said, "Are you sure you heard correctly? Not Ethiopia, not some other place, no Sudan." So church said, leadership said, "Wait, continue to serve in the church as the prayer ministry for a while, and I, I planted outreaches in the community. Mm. So waiting, waiting, and pray, and." My senior pastor was at a board meeting in uh, Colorado Springs, and there he meets Bob Hulahan, the late Bob Hulahan, who was the president of Mercy Ships, mm-hmm. the good friends. And so my pastor said, "I've this girl back in my home church. She keeps on saying Sudan, 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 Sudan." <laughs> and Bob Hulahan said, "Well, I know a couple who are in South Sudan, Mama Lily and Dennis Clapp. I know them. They have started an orphanage in South Sudan. They are from Wisconsin." Okay, give me their contact, and I have the missions guy get connected with them. So he came back and got connected with the missions pastor, and Mama Lily said, "This is what we're looking for," and I fitted totally complied or fitted the requirements that she needed. She had wanted a, a administrator for the orphanage. So. So and when my pastor said orphanage, I said no. I'm a church planter. I orphanage, but I said I'll pray. And I said God, I'm going. Any excuse to leave my home and to go to Africa, I'm going. So we left. So in night two thousand and three, June, I left Malaysia and went to went to South Sudan. And how old were you then? I was. Ooh, 
early 40s, 42, I think, 42, yeah, 42. And I went. So we know F flight, so it was a journey. And I know when I crossed the Uganda border and South Sudan border, I said, God, you are amazing. Mm-hmm. You are faithful. Yes. I'm standing at this border and I say, God, I'm crossing over mm-hmm. to Sudan. Your mm-hmm. word is true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I was, it was amazing. So we went to South Sudan, entered there, and there's Mama Lily at the orphanage with 70 kids. And she said, Welcome. Okay, 70 kids we had. And we had, um, and I administrated the orphanage, and she said, The school, we, are, we have a school here, 120 kids, but we want you to be in charge of that. All right, Lord, this is good. I can bring, am I, can I bring the word of God? Oh, yes. So I brought the word of God, structured on biblical principles, and made sure that all the teachers were mm-hmm. discipleship, you know, they had no choice, and brought the Bible study into the classrooms, the word of God, we're daily chapel services. So um, little did I realize that. The orphanage was like a church because I could bring the word of God to these kids. And in the evenings, I would follow these children uh, to the homes because this school was just not only for our orphans, but we had opened up the school to the community as well. So I would walk with the children to the community, building relationships with the parents or family members who were in the community. And many of these children lost their parents, but they had um, extended families. 2005, after two years, of serving in the school as a, in the capacity of a school administrator and orphanage administrator, I felt, Lord, it is time for me to step out and plant a church. Mm-hmm. And right timing because we had a missionary from Dallas who came. She had just finished her master's in Christian education and she said, I want to take over the school. Mm. We prayed and, all right, Lord, there's a young girl here. She, her heart is for the school. She's qualified, equipped, and has stepped out. In 2005, the church was planted in South Sudan. We had a captive audience, mainly our children, orphans, and widows. Most of the men died during the war. I started mm. the church, but I started going out to the community, taking on children, brought discipleship to the children. They were disciples because I would say, God, how am I going to raise leaders? What I have is children. God said, what do you have in your hand? As God would tell Moses, well, use them and train them up and mm. raise them up. So I did that. So and raised up, um, raised up a mentor, a young man. For 10 years, I was there for 10 years, and Hillary is still there in South Sudan. So after 10 years, the church was up and going. Our children were raised. We had children over 400 kids, and we have different classes, and our kids ages 10, 11, 12 were teaching the Word of God in the classrooms. Our prayer guys were kids. Our worship team were kids, and a national pastor was trained. So 2013, I say, God, I'm babysitting. I think the church is ready to be handed over to national leadership. Mm. Right. And I said, God, what's the next season of ministry? So we did that. And uh, before I left in May 2013, I had taken a trip, R&R time just two weeks before I left for home. And I was on a flight going home. I was on a flight going to Entebbe. And next to me was George Williams. And he is or was, I'm not sure whether he still is, uh, the president of Voice of the Martyrs. And he says, mm-hmm. what's going on and how are you? And I said, I'm living and I want to serve in South Sudan. And he introduced to me the eight missionaries who were in Torit, Eastern Equatoria. They were involved in the unrich people groups. Mm-hmm. So I thought, oh, that's good. I would love to do that. All right, I'll connect you to them. And why don't you take a trip there? So I did that. 
Later, I took a flight there and I went there. And so I, you, so you just met him on an airplane. On an airplane, but I know of him. I know of him from South Sudan. But I mean, that is God's providence, is God's, even of itself, to be sitting next to yeah, the person, head of the Voice of the Martyrs. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Wow. So, yeah. So, so he gave me the contacts. Okay, so I went to Tori, and the missionary, a missionaries were there. I spoke to them, find out what they're doing. But the same time, I also met um, a bishop whom I knew from South Sudan and the Pentecostal Church, and I spoke to him and went to him, and I said this. And I knew that my next season of ministry was to train pastors, start a Bible school. So I shared with him, he says, oh, that's good because we have a piece of land and, you know, you put our building and bring pastors here and we could train them. I said, all right. So we went to look at a piece of land. We prayed. We had our sticks and we prayed for that land. Everything was done and shared with the church leadership. And I went home and I brought it to the church leadership. They were excited. Mm-hmm. And so preparing in January 2014 to go back to South Sudan, but to a different area. Then the conflict broke, broke out in December 2013, mm-hmm. all right? So I thought maybe just for two weeks, but no, it was not good. And the, and the bishop in um, Juba, Juba that's in South Sudan, said, don't go. It's not looking good. All right, I just felt the Lord closing the doors. Hmm. So I didn't go back. So I, so I began to seek the Lord. I said, God... South Sudan, Lord. So my, I was still continuing the ministry back in Malaysia. I was not in Kuala Lumpur. I was sent to East Malaysia and uh, planted outreaches there. They had an outreach where they had no pastor for four years. One of our outreaches, so I went to um, the pastor that that community, that church. It was good. I loved it, enjoyed it. But I would come home and I would lay my head on the pillow and I say, God, when am I going back to Africa? And I would mm. cry, God, when am I going back? And I knew it was the law. The church had wanted me to stay back. They said, you have served 10 years in South Sudan. We need you back in our home church. We need people, ministries expanding. Yes, I know. But I say, but I say, God, you are calling me back to Africa. All right. I'm here. Unless you tell me in a loud, clear voice, no, don't go back. Stay back in Malaysia. I will stay back, Lord. <laughs> I didn't hear, but, you know. So I began to pray. That was 2014. Then in April 2014, I had to go back to Uganda to collect my staff, which were left in South Sudan since I was not going back to South Sudan. And I was there for a week. And I was there for a week. I meet people, Scripture Union uh, Regional Coordinator, whom I've known him while I was in South Sudan. I used him to train my children ministry leaders. And he said, today is World Refugee Day. While waiting for your bags for three days, why don't you come with me and go to the refugee camp? Mm-hmm. Okay. So I went with him, took a drive, not thinking of anything. And the minute I stepped into the camp, the kids came, the little ones came running to me, they pulled my hand, they said, please go look for my mom. Mm. All right, they have no idea, I knew the mom's probably died in the war. And the teenagers came to me, come and take care of us, mm. come and teach us. So I'm like, oh, okay. So I'm, so I'm hearing mm. all these voices, and then I go back to, to the town. And I thought, refugees, I thought refugees was not my call. Okay, Lord. And then I got all my stuff, and I'm coming back home to Malaysia, and there I'm at the airport about to board the Emirates flight, and it's time to board the flight. I didn't think of anything else, reading a book on the Kindle, close my Kindle and boarding the flight. And as I'm walking up on the ramp into the aircraft, I just broke and cried. I just cried. And I said, God, what's happening? And the Lord says, look back. And I look back and he said, you're coming back to Uganda. No, Lord, Sudan. God says, no, Uganda. I'm just crying, crying, crying. I went to the aircraft. And I just sat, sat down there. 
stopped crying, took my Kindle, no time to process on the air flight, Lord, let me get home. So I just read my book and arrived back home. But I began to keep in touch with the news, what's going on in South Sudan. My church was not ready to release me back and to find out what ministry. So I knew that the church was not going to um, uh, support me back in, in back to Uganda. But I said, God, if you're calling me back, you will open the way for me. And then I meet the president of the International Christian Mission and uh, a friend whom I know, I know him for a long time. I know his family. And I said, I want to go back to Uganda. God is calling me back, but I'm not sure what I'm going to do there. He said, you know what? We're looking to open our ministry in Africa. If you would go, we would like to send you. And this is church planting. And I said, oh, okay. So we sat down. I said, okay, Lord, pray. And, and the scripture says, God ordains the steps of the righteous. Okay, one by one, he just guided every path, prayed. And uh, I left in twenty. November 2014, I came back to Uganda, arrived in Uganda, and I was still near Uganda, came to know people, uh, walked, uh, came to know the pastors of different churches, and while waiting for uh, the ministry for church planting, I was involved in the prison ministry, got involved in prison ministry and hospital ministry. As I came to know people, then I started, they invited me to start training their pastors. The minute I started one, the word went out. And so I've moved around Uganda, the different districts of Uganda, to bring the church planting training, mostly in the villages, because most of the pastors have no resources to be equipped or be trained in the city or go to a formal Bible school. So you have churches being planted, pastors are so-called preaching, and you see false doctrines are going on. Mm -hmm. And that's my heart, to bring the teachings to where the people are. Then I go to the refugee camp as well, and there I meet people whom I knew from South Sudan. Mm-hmm. And I think I shared on Sunday, I met this young man, and he said, I know you. And I said, I think you're familiar. I said, yes, I know you. And I was selling uh, uh, drugs in the, in the little shop in the town. And I said, what happened? And he said, well, on that day in 2016, he said, um, sorry, 2013, I saw the soldiers coming at the back of my shop and they had AK-47 and they started shooting and my family members were killed. So I opened a little window and I crawled out of my window. He says, I ran and I ran. Never looked back and I arrived at the refugee camp. Mm-hmm. And I'm here with lots of these students whom you know. They were right across the school where you were. And I said, yes, I recognize some of them. And so I trained them. All right, trained them. He already had a church. And 90% of his congregation were youths and children. I thought, wow. Mm-hmm. The next generation of Sudan was literally packed here. Wow. Okay, Lord, these are people. Mm-hmm. And they were hungry for the word. I mean, they mm-hmm. were all that. During a worship session, they were just crying, crying, crying to God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I taught them. And I left him there, and uh, six months later, and I was moving around other parts of Uganda, and six months, he tells me, I said, what's happening? Um, what's going on? What are the fruits? He says, you wouldn't believe it. My guys have gone out. We have planted 52 house churches at the camp. I said, okay, I'm coming back to do at the refugee camp. refugee camp. All right. And then today, there are more than 3 million refugees. At that time, probably 2 million. The camp is big. They're divided into different clusters. And this young man, on his own initiative, will go and he will travel, he will call me, can I go to this camp? I said, go, you know, go, I'll um, support you, I'll pay for your transport and the materials, and he goes. I mean, and, I, and this young man will have every reason to say, God, I'm not going. Mm-hmm. My, par- my family's members were killed, 
I've run, I've come here. Mm-hmm. There's no job for me. There is no school. All right, the trauma that I'm going. But no, he chooses to put that aside, and he says, "God, that's the reason why I arrived at the camp, and mm-hmm. all my family members perished." So I, I mean, he's this guy is amazing, so passionate for Christ, and he's there still right there. He's still there in at the camp, and. Uh, And so while while in Uganda, um, so while in Uganda, I had gone. I mean, I was at Uganda. I had gone to different refugee camps, and when I went to one cluster that is called Ariwa, they're divided into fifteen different clusters, and. I did a kind of a tour and asking God, God, what do I do here? Which place do I, you know, uh, start ministry and be there? And I went to this place. These children came out and they had the same same school uniform that they had in South Ye. While they were harvesters, they came running to me and said, "We are here. All right, are you guys in the school? Yes, we are. Where's the school?" And I went. It's a government school. Five hundred kids in a classroom. One teacher. Wow. And I said, "What? You're here? Yeah." So I taken pictures of them. These are kids that were that were raised by us ten years ago or twelve years ago, and I had sent that back to harvesters to the board. And at that time, they were not ready to start a school there because they thought that the conflict will come to an end and yes. the kids will all return. Yeah. But the conflict escalated, and more refugees were coming. And it's only 2016 that I presented this report again, and that's when they prayed and they decided that they would build a school at the camp and see how we can support many of the children. South Sudan is predominantly who have lost many of them have lost their parents, but staying with with their ex, with their relatives at the camp. So the Lord says, "Okay, we're going to start a school." And I said, "All right, since I'm on the ground, I'm able to uh, oversee the construction of the school because it is in partnership with the Office of the Prime Minister of Uganda and the UNHCR." So a lot of paper documents to be done, and the Lord just gave me favor, and I connected with the lady of UNHCR. Salome is her name. And she works closely with the refugees. You know, when I first come to hear the word UNHCR, the first thing that comes to mind is they are corrupt, mm-hmm. right? Corrupt and wine, women, song. Period. So I came to know this lady, and I came to know that she is a woman who loves the Lord, walking with Jesus. She sits on several church boards, mm-hmm. and she's a woman of integrity. And this is God that our paths connected. Mm-hmm. So I would move with her to the camps, and I would sit with her, and. She would spend a lot of time with the refugees, even one-to-one basis. Mm. She would speak and she would allow her, allow them to tell the stories because she herself was a refugee <coughs> way back when Uganda had their war, when the Ugandans had to flee to South Sudan. At the age of eight years old, she was raped in front of her father. So she understands the plight of the refugees. So towards each day around six o'clock, when all the guys leave the camp, the NGOs leave the camp, the women will line up and they will come to her, and they will tell her what happened. So I've sat with her, mm-hmm. the interpreter, and I've heard stories after stories how the women have been raped, tied to trees in front of their husbands and children. Stories after stories, mm-hmm. even kids at six years old have been raped, and of course they died. Yeah. I mean, I go one day and I come back. I can't sleep. But this lady goes. She's just there every day, every day. She's just, right. So through her, God gave us favor. She said. So some of the documents, documentation, 
the government waived because she said, I know these guys, they have done the school in South Sudan. Let them start with the construction. So the school was constructed mm. uh, to God with the glory. Yes. Uh, I mean, the, the funders came so fast, so quick mm. from the state side. People caught on that and gave, you know, and I took mm. care of that. And we took, we had our official opening last year, early last year. Mm. We took the first batch of 200 200 preschoolers. Mm. All right. We had wow. Opening, yeah. <laughs> opening ceremony. We had our board members come and and I had speech. And they, gave, they asked me to, to, to speak. And, and, mm. I, and I told everybody there, there were government officials there, and I said, can we just stop for a minute and just look around? Just look around. Just look around this campus mm. and look what the Lord has done. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Look mm. what the Lord has mm. done. Yeah. It's not about harvesters or organization. It's about the faithfulness right. of God. That's I right. say, you kids, God, God loves you. He has not forgotten, forgotten yeah. you. Yeah. And, and the government and in Uganda, in Arwa, where I am, they said this is the best school. All right. And then we continue the second phase of construction now. It is a full-fledged nursery and primary school. We just completed two months ago fully equipped with solar power. There's no school at the camp that's got solar power. None, 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 none. Playground. We just bought playground equipment. I had, had that done, shipped in from Kampala, $3,000 playground. The kids are so happy. Yeah, they're jumping. I see, reminding them over and over again, it's Jesus. Mm. It's Jesus. It's not about Americans. Yes, mm-hmm. God used them to fund, mm-hmm. but it is God mm-hmm. because God loves you. Right. So, it's a testimony to God. So, January next year, we we probably have 500 children at the campus. I'm trying now to hook up water so we can have running water to the toilets, all right, and to the kitchen. We have got uh, uh, facilities for the teachers to stay on the ground. Uh, 70% are South Sudanese and uh, 30% are nationals. We have to take in 30% wow. because it's a, it's a, we're sitting on the property of the nationals. So we're taking mm-hmm. the children as well. Uh, the Word of God is going to the classroom. There's discipleship. So teams have come. All right. From on Ararat, they had a wonderful time. Mindy will tell you stories. Powerful time. So the team was there last year. All right. Lots of girls. I got lots of girls. The older girls have got no schools to go to because there's only one secondary school which is far far away and I mean there's not much of education there quality education so many of the girls at the camp have committed suicide uh, because number one they have lost their family members number two there's no school to go to number three they stay with uncles or aunties mostly uncles abuse them beat them because they're under trauma so the girls say what is the hope what's the reason for us leaving alright I think Mindy probably can tell you more stories she was there last year and many of the girls now we're here are running running are leaving the camp they're going to a town called Koboko uh, for money and they're pushed more than today I can tell them more than 300 South Sudanese girls mm. our daughters were pushed into prostitution mm. yeah and the numbers are increasing yeah so I hear this and I hear this and I keep asking God what do we do how many refugees come in every day? All right. Right now, there's a daily influx of 1,000 refugees. I was just there two weeks ago because Mama Salome had called. I keep in touch with her. She calls me. She had called me to say refugees are coming. But she said, you wouldn't believe kids are coming naked. I said, what? Why are they coming naked? She said, these are people running through the bush. Or they be- these are people who have been hiding in the bush for months because the gunshots are going. And so, and the, when, the, when the rebels catch them, the children, they take off their clothes and they fire the gun, pop, 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 pop. Now you run. 
they run. So women too, they hit this up. Many pregnant women, I saw them with babies at, at the border, and I said, the baby's born here? They said, no. Where the baby's born? In the bush. What do you mean? I'm not full-term pregnancy led, and I hear the gunshots, I run. The labor pains come. Sorry, I have to squat in the bush, and this baby's aboard. So I, I, the one mama, I said, can I, can I just take the baby and pray? She's a believer and dedicate to God. Oh, yeah, please do. I said, there's a reason why this baby is born, mm-hmm. why this baby is here. Oh, yeah, it's not an accident. And this child, boy, will grow up to be a man of God who's mm-hmm. going to testify. Let me dedicate him to Jesus before he goes to witchcraft or some other stuff. Yeah, small kids and kids have come and said, why did they cut off my father's neck? Why did they cut off my mother's neck? And I'm going, well, yeah. Men have told me, you bring clothes. So, and I had called Mindy and pe- people whom I know, I said, Mindy, we can raise funds to buy bills of clothes for these children. So, I mean, very fast the response came. And we got money and we bought bills. I wanted to see for myself, the kids myself, and be able to give clothes so the donors know what's happening. I went there myself and I thought, oh my God. So, all women with a stick coming out of the truck, and she looked at me and I looked at her and I said, she, she called me. And she said, she said, it's a picture of her. She said, at this age, I'm in exile. Mm. Why? Mm. And I thought, my gosh, she's older than my mom. I mean, I've got no answers. Mm. I said, God, I've got no answers. And we gave, we bought, we brought clothes, bills of clothes. We handed up to children. Children take the, and they only have one piece. And one little girl, she went, she went, she disappeared, and she wore the dress. She comes to me, and she's. She's smiling. I took a picture and I saw it. One used clothes address. She goes back and she's coming to say, in a way, thank you. And I'm thinking, wow. I opened my closet. I've got clothes. Abundance. And this little girl, like that, I have a picture of her. She comes back to say, thank you. So end of the day, Lord, it is not me giving them, but God, you are teaching me. You are humbling me. No complaints. There's no. There's nothing that I do not have. Nothing. All right. And you go to on. You go to camp on a Sunday morning, all round under mango trees in iron sheets. What do you hear? Hands going out. They're dancing, and the song. The songs you hear is, "God, you are good." And I'm sitting there, and I'm just crying. That women raped, husbands shot, babies die, and they can. I mean, this is genuine. This is genuine. They're not faking it. Oh, yeah, they're clapping with a drum. God, you are good. Jesus, I love you. Will mm-hmm. I be able to do that, Lord? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Smiles. Smile. They're smiling. That's one thing I can never. These kids are smiling. Mm-hmm. Smiles. They smile. How can they smile, Lord? God says, yes, they can because they know who I am. Mm. They know who I am. It's not based mm. upon the circumstances. Yeah, I mean, the tenacity and that faith. These women have wo- walked for miles, hidden in the bush for days, and they smile and say, thank you for coming, and I'm going, oh. Mm. Yeah, I mean, the story goes on. I just got a call when I was in Dallas. Mama suddenly calls me up. She said, are you back in the States? No, Mama, I've still got a few days more. What's up? Are refugees coming? Yeah, they're still coming. 
Did you more clothes? She says, yes. And I said, I still got money. I come back and I'll, I'll talk to you. I said, yeah, I'm coming. She said, but I'm getting lots of people with uh, bullet wounds. Um, she takes them to hospital and yeah. So, and I'm talking with her on the phone. I said, you know, there's one, and she said, where the refugees go? She said, the camp is full. The different locations, you see, in Uganda is bordered by South Sudan. So refugees are coming to point A, point B, point C, cross the Victoria uh, 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 River now, and here. So I've gone to all the camps. Now, all the camps are full now. They open a new area. So all these thousands of refugees are going to be here. All right. Now they get food from UN, which is really not enough. All right. When the refugees go there, they're given food and they're given plastic sheets, and that's it. You go live. So they got tough. Now it's a rainy season has set in thunderstorms. Yeah. Rainy season has set in thumbs. All right. They have oh. to go to the bush and cut. The boys will go to the, po- the bush and cut poles and stick poles and put the tubs. I read this. Who, who gives them that? The government. The government. The government gives them. Okay. Yeah, right. the, the, the plastic. The UN the plastic tubs. Yeah. Sure. And then sleep on the dirt floor. Kids. In the yeah. rainy season. In the rainy yeah. season. No. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's what's happening, right? Over time, it's a dry season. Okay, they have time to go and build their little mud huts. They can sleep there. But now it's rainy season coming, and the kids are all going there so I said okay Lord I said to him yes we give clothes but what do we do beyond clothes you know mm-hmm. the trauma comes. yeah they see the Christians but that doesn't mean much what about the gospel you know I mean it's overwhelming you know so I'm praying and as people who must share I said just stand with us in prayer what do we do Lord I mean God doesn't allow now, now you have heard God doesn't allow me to see and hear these things and say and pray no what do I do, God? What what role can I play? You know, yeah, even a small role. How can we now help these people? The gospel has got to go. Jesus, the trauma, the law. Number one is number one on the list is trauma counseling. Trauma. Yes. Oh yeah. Yes. Baby, just to hear the gun wounds is trauma. Kids hearing gun wounds is trauma. I mean, if you sleep, you hear a gunshot in the middle of the night. You are like, mm-hmm. it sits in your spirit. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So I, I love that. That's a part of. Um, your next steps. Um, I we did a podcast with Margie uh, McCombs, who works for the American Bible Society, and she works with kids um, that have experienced trauma in other countries. And uh, one thing in the reading that I did, that some of the stuff that she sent is that trauma alters your brain chemistry. Oh, yes, that's right. And that you are no longer the same, same person. person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, you now have to be retaught how to acclimate to this life. Exactly. And when you are only providing um, clothes and food, while that is beautiful, beautiful. and is yeah. necessary, mm-hmm. if we're not teaching them how to relive, yes. then that trauma takes over their mm-hmm. brain. Yeah. Yeah. Shani, that's so beautiful. There's, it one, is so there's beautiful. one girl in a camera, a picture, I mean, she, pink dress, she's just sitting like this at the window. So I went to her and I said, She's crying. So I was quiet. She said, They shot all of my 10 family members. Why did they not shoot me? What a burden to carry. I know. 10. It's just one shot. Pop, pop. You will never be the same after something like that. You were altered. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Young girl. Man. Young girl. She's probably about 12. Yeah. But you know what I love? I love your question to God is, what do you want me to do? Yeah, of course. And what can I do? And I think... What if that was all of our questions to ourselves? Yeah. We heard something that we knew 
should move our spirit, even if it doesn't, for some callous reason. Right. What if our question was, God, what can I do? Do. What do you want for me? What do you to do? Yes. Let's keep asking him. Yeah. So what what is your next... Your next. What is your current project? What are, What is something that if our listeners were listening to this mm. and they're moved by this and they mm. want to link arms with you somehow, mm. how can they do that? What is your current project and how can they get on board? Oh Lord, I don't know. Oh God, mm. yeah. I tell myself, Lord, two more years. Yeah, I'll finish my. Ch- I'm, tra- I'm raising up trainers in every district. Uganda is made up of 153 districts. I've covered 15. So every district is travel language. So every district, I, I raise up a church planter trainer. And then you go and train others. So I'm trusting God for the next two years because my work permit goes two years, two years, that I can cover all of Uganda. And I say, God, where next, God? Mm. You know, it may be to partner with this Mama Salome. She wants to start, such, uh, she wants to start the NGO organization and get these South Sudanese girls who are in prostitution, get them out. Provide a place, love them, Amen. give them some skills. Some of you write, put them in schools, give them a hope. Mm. Christ, you know, yeah. I mean, it's good to speak, but in action, you know. So I'm, I'm give them skills yeah, to be skills. able to, yeah, yeah, get back and bring people on the ground to to work with them, trauma, you know, work with them. It's a process. But if we do that, I mean, if Christ is in that, I for me, I just see He does it. Yeah. So I'm just looking at avenues what I can do. Now this refugee camp, these guys are going. You know, it's huge. Yeah. What do we do, Lord? Yeah, missionaries can come as plug themselves. You know, stay there and just be with them. You know. Yeah. And I said, people, and I said tomorrow, what can we do? I said, I mean, it's so funny when I was at the counter. They look at the sheet, $2,000, I didn't have the money. And that's why second service, I said, don't allow that money to put a stumbling block. It's what the enemy wants to do. It's too much money, you can't go. Your kids are in high school. You got this, you can't tell. You know, no, no, that's the enemy. It's all about God. I will go. I want to go, Lord. But now, Lord, you have to work that money. You have to work my kids in school or college or my leave, God. You are in charge. Yeah. All you want yeah. me, God, I'm available. As pastor thought, it's a hard issue. Yeah. It's a hard issue. Where is your heart? God, I want to go. All right. All right. So I'm taking some a better response after I say that. Just say. And people came and, and said, thank you for sharing. Yeah, and thank you for what you do. No, let's, let's, say, let's move beyond that. Thank you. Come here. Why don't you sign up? Mm. Put your name. And I'm taking this list. Mindy has got the list. I'm taking a photocopy. I'm going to be praying for you. Yeah. 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 We can't come this November. Can be next year summer. Yeah. If you yeah. come all the way, I mean, one girl came to the counter. She signed. I didn't see her. I said, thank you. I just want to come and hold a baby. Mm. If that is what God wants Amen. to do. Amen. Amen. Praise God. One life. Yeah. One girl came. She's crying. I know I have to go. I can't really. I know I have to go. Yeah. Standing here, we are, I'm standing with you in this prayer for this. Mm. Oh yeah, the money we need money. Oh yeah, it's a lot of money. Yeah, yeah ministry takes money. money. But you know what? This is his problem. Exactly. When I left, when I answered God's call, this the house loan. God, I mean the house loan. God, that's not my problem. Yeah, yeah. My issue is I heard you and I say yes, Lord. Yeah, yeah, yes, Lord. Well, then here's what we're going to do. Mm-hmm. We're going to get your contact information, and we're going to put them in our podcast notes. Mm-hmm. And If they want to find out how they can plug in, they can. Exactly. Yeah. And they can right go now, to... Right now, I just... just kind of, no, yeah. I totally I'm, know. I'm still so here. So what we'll yeah. do is we'll get the contact information, because some 
people want to come and go. Yeah. Some people are in the stage of life where they physically can't go, right. but they want to give. Right. And some people are saying, you know what? I'm a prayer warrior. Right. And so I want a list of I'll what I can pray, pray for. Yeah. And so those three ways yeah. that we know, whether they can go, they right. can give, or they can pray, right. we can put that in the podcast notes to make that available right. because mm-hmm. you cannot listen to this. Right. Um, mm-hmm. We can't listen to your story and not be moved. Mm-hmm. And we cannot listen to your story and not be convicted that we are called to more. Mm-hmm. Even if it's not Uganda, we are called to more perhaps here in the United States. Okay. Perhaps, and you know, this is a controversial thing, but I'm going to go there. Mm-hmm. Perhaps when we look at the, the refugee climate that is bubbling in the United States, exactly. perhaps our answer yeah. is God, what would you have me do to love those people, people. here? Amen. And yeah. that is a very I know, uh, I know. A shifting sand yes, kind yes, of thing yes, right yes, now. Yes, yes, it is. Yeah. It's a very political, political thing. Right. But what if we looked at it through the eyes of the Jesus and not politics? Exactly. And we the eyes said, of Jesus. what do those people need? And yeah. you think through this. You're talking about the trauma wow. that they've experienced. Right. Well, let's let's think about that. Anybody that is a refugee, there's a reason they're a refugee. Exactly. They are fleeing something. Yes. So the trauma they've experienced in fleeing. Fleeing. The journey. Okay, God, what can I do? do. What right. can I do? Yeah. And Gary Haugen said one time when I went to my very first international justice mission, uh-huh. um, uh, he... Uh, spoke at McLean Bible Church, and my husband was my then fiance, and we were sitting there listening. And he said the statement: "People will ask him, why in the world would you worship a God who does allows all these bad things, but does not provide an answer?" Mm. And Gary Haugen said. But he has provided an answer, and it's me. Me. Amen. And so, what oh, if, Pushani, wow. I'm looking at you, and you're an answer. Mm-hmm. And what's happened is, you have created an entire generational shift in South Sudan by raising up an entire generation of Christian godly men and women mm-hmm. who were then boys and girls, and now they're men and women. Mm-hmm. And what you're doing within that refugee camp, it's not just for the current, but it's for all of those yeah. children that are now going to have children one day. Amen. They're going to be different mm-hmm. because you said, okay, God, what am I supposed to do? Mm-hmm. What if we looked at the refugee crisis that's happening in America and we said, okay, God, what do I do? And instead of politicizing it, we say, okay, Lord, I want to love mm. the trauma that's happening but down that, there. That, what do you want me to do yeah, about it? Amen. There, when I look at you, Pastor Bishani, I look at you and I see what Gary Haugen said. I'm the answer. <laughs> and you're the Brilliant. one bringing the hope of Jesus Brilliant. through mm. practical means. And I know the ones of you that are listening to this right now, some of this is overwhelming and you need to push pause and you need to get on your knees right now and you need to pray, (laughs) okay, Lord, what do I do with this information? Mm -hmm. Because the reality is we're going to put inside our podcast notes the way that you can give or go or pray. Mm -hmm. And those are three ways that you can join this ministry. And if it is not this ministry, then you need to ask yourself, okay, Lord, what? What do you want from me? Because he wants something from us. Right. Because right. he loves he loves too much for us to mm-hmm. not to do exactly. something. Yes. Mm. Yeah. And so Jesus is saying his command, great commission. The first thing is what? Go. Yeah. So go is just not yeah, it's that that word go. Yeah. Wow. Go. It's active. Yeah. yeah. Go. Yeah. And most of the time, where did Jesus spend his time? The hurting, mm-hmm. the broken. You read the Gospels. Yes. Where was he? He would go all the way to the Samaritan woman and sit by the well. Yeah. All right? Yeah. Go all the way to the pool 
And this one, this one man, 38 years sitting by the pool, get up, take up your mat and walk. Mm-hmm. One person, mm-hmm. you would go. Yeah. All, all the time is people. That's your okay, kid. Not in the church buildings, fancy church buildings, no. It's out there. Yeah. So as Pastor Todd said last week, it's not the church, it's outside the four That's right. That's right. Sunday we come and celebrate, thank yeah. you. Mm-hmm. But Mondays and Saturdays we are mm-hmm. called to be outside at your marketplace, at yeah. your office, be that one witness. Yeah, so we had the story of Shamira. Her photo was not up, and Shamira and and the mother. We had a film crew from Philadelphia Liberty Church, mm-hmm. and they had come last year, and they wanted to come and film. And I said, you can't simply walk to the camp. You need letters, and they're very strict because we had other people come to do filming, and then they put on the media. It's all negative, negative, mm-hmm. negative against UNCHR. Now UNCHR, they are overwhelmed. They did not expect such an influx of refugees. Mm-hmm. They're budgeting wise. Nobody had thought overwhelmed. Yeah. So food, they had to cut back. You know. So I mean, I'm there and I see it. I mean, yeah. There's some. There's a certain level of corruption going on with the NGOs. Of course, they are. So they had come last year, and I got all the documents for them clearance we went to the camp and what they do is they hook up speakers in a little little hut and and they had got call certain people to speak whom I knew and they close the door speaker is here tell a story mm-hmm. nobody's listening a space for them to unload or download whatever so we're all outside mm-hmm. she had called this guy saw this girl that came and I said she looked different I said where are you so Sudan is yeah and I said she I said you looked different my father was Persian My mother is South Sudanese. And I said, where's your mother? She's the camp. She took quite good English. My mother is here and my father left my mom. Okay. So I told Brandon Goolish, the, the crew, the film guy, the director, I think you should hear her story. So, okay. So he got her in. And then evening we went to the guest house. I wanted to come. You need to hear her story. Okay. And she's telling a story. She's with her mom. And as they were crossing the border, The soldiers want to shoot her. And the mother said, don't shoot my only daughter. Mm. So I just said, okay, we will spare your daughter, but we will rape you. All of us will rape you. The mother said, okay. So they stripped the mother. They tied her to a tree. Her daughter is watching. Soldier after soldier raped her. Then they said, put on your clothes and now go. Got shots. The mother fell. She broke her leg. And she's like, yeah. So Brandon hears the story. The guy is crying. Of course, he said, how can I help this girl? I said, oh, yes, you can. She needs secondary education. All right, me and my wife. I'll go back and talk to her, but I know she will. Can you put her in a school? We will, we will take care of her. So so they're coming back now. They're flying. They're meeting them. They're flying at the same time with me from Philadelphia. And that they did that, that, that recording and they did a video on how young people were building bricks. And they had this on the harvesters board. And I think Brian saw a mm-hmm. clip of that. Yes. And that caught attention of the church people in Philadelphia, Philadelphia. So he wants to come back and see the girl and get more stories, more stories. So this is one of the many stories that you hear. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know of a man who was the first headmaster of a school in Ye, the South Sudan. And I saw him at the camp and I said, and he had left us for a while. And he had gone to do his master's in India and he had come back. To, to, to his home in South Sudan. He says that night he was at home and middle of the night he woke up, he heard next door neighbor somebody chopping off. He woke up his wife oh. and that is Alfred Hakim. Woke up, Brent knows him. Oh, 
wake up, pick your clothes, and tomorrow morning, pick up, get the kids ready, the baby, the baby, and we are going. And he's telling me the story. He says, three times I've gone in and out. So he says, Mama, I'm not going back. I can't get my kids in and out. They have to find a school, and I'm here. Yeah. I mean, you sit, you hear stories mm, after mm, stories. Mm. All right. Yeah, and oh my goodness, yeah. Another lady, she says, my brother was shot. My husband was killed. Yeah, trauma after trauma. But the worst thing is for the kids when they come, why did they kill my dad? Mm. Mm. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. Oh, I don't know. God, I don't know, Laura. Mm. Uh, but I say, you know what? We thank God he has brought you to a place of safety. He has brought you to a place of safety. Yeah. You know many others died, but you have brought you to a place of safety. Yeah. But I have no answers for those self-care. Mm-hmm. But that's a God who's watching. That's right. That's He's right. watching. The Bible says the wicked will be judged. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because there's no escape. Yeah. That's so, right. Yeah. That's right. That's good. Yeah. All right. Kushani, thank you. What's You're amazing. Mean? Not he, me. Our God is amazing. He yeah. is amazing, but yeah, as just, are you. This is true. Yeah. Pushani, you're a gift. <laughs> Thank you so much for being on this. Thank you. Okay. Yeah.